thank you for joining us for another episode of What Do You Think About X, a show aimed at highlighting insightful points of view and posing some deeper questions along the way. As always, if you want to continue the conversation, you can find us on Twitter at AboutXPodcast, or if you'd like to catch our other episodes or share any of this content, you can find us on most popular podcasting platforms. This episode, we're joined by Sam Rose, a poet, writer, and editor currently undertaking her PhD research into the connection between creative writing and cancer survivorship. There's a really powerful insight here, as Sam is also a three-time cancer survivor living with Lynch syndrome. And she'll be talking to us about her experiences, many of which are captured in her recent book, Gut Feelings. It's an excellent start already. So, I mean, I mean, I mean, we're very jovial for what the topic's about, which I'm going to introduce now. Um, so our guest this week is Sam Rose, who is a free-time cancer survivor. Um, and already she's laughing. <laughs> with, um, and uh, also has Lynch syndrome, uh, which we'll find out a little bit about, and is a PhD student researching the connection between creative writing and cancer survivorship. Uh, not only that, she's been published in over 60 literary magazine anthologies and her memoir, Gut Feelings, uh, Coping with Cancer and Living with Lynch Syndrome, was released uh, at the start of this year. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Right, so tell us why cancer's great. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you just went straight in there. Straight in. I was nervous, but you've... you've... Okay, I can't. You can't get a worse question. That's so that's fine. <laughs> I mean, um, I do. I do have an answer, but I realised that one of my cancers was uh, gynecological cancer, and I'm talking to three guys, and I was just going to leap right in with a period answer. <laughs> uh, uh, look, feel free. We are we are free white men, and we absolutely deserve to be put in our stupid white <laughs> privileged place. So, don't 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 hold back on anything, Sam. <laughs> yeah, cancer is great because. <laughs> You have a hysterectomy. You have no more periods, and that's literally everything. That that's it. That's the end. I mean, I mean, yeah, that. <laughs> I I think sort of to, something to start off with. Then I, I guess in this is every cloud. Yeah, I mean every cloud. Yeah, <laughs> you've obviously got a really like a quite light-hearted kind of approach to it. Like yeah. you know, from read from reading your book as well. Like I was genuinely almost crying, laughing at one of the lines in there where you say when you have like your first rectal exam mm-hmm. and then you are and you ask the nurse is it the highlight of his day because it's the highlight of yours i like i was i was i was absolutely cre- creasing up straight away so like how how long did it take you to sort of go from it being a i mean it probably is still a struggle obviously but like how long did it take it to become quite a kind of to be able to approach it like quite comedically i guess hmm. Yeah, I guess it's just kind of happened all the, all the way through. I mean, as you say, that was something that I said on the the first day in in A and E when I didn't, you know, even realise that I'd I had cancer. Then um, I think it's just in my nature to be, um, you know, quite light hearted about things, and um, cancer gives you a lot of material for dark humour, um, and it's just just a way a way of coping with it. I guess it just it comes quite naturally, to be honest. Yeah, it seems like a really human thing, I guess, to anything that's traumatic or a struggle or whatever is to approach it in that way. Uh, my mind had a mastectomy, and I remember when it happened, the best, the, the thing that kind of broke the mood about it was my brother put her uh, spongy breast down his pants uh, 
just before he was about to go out running <laughs> to, to make it look like he had picked. And I, so I guess that is a sort of way of approaching it. But I mean, like, so does this come out in your book a lot? Because tell us a bit more about gut feelings. Like, what, I mean, what, I, I, I don't want to say what's it about, but is it sort of about what you went through, what other things are in it? I mean, what's it really about kind of thing? So it's in two parts. Um, the first part is called the large intestine and the second part is called the small intestine um, because the first um, cancer that I had was bowel cancer and the second uh, was uh, uterine cancer and then duodenal cancer, which is uh, part of the small bowel. Um, so the first part is really my story so far so far at the time from beginning to end um 2010 to sort of 2019 um all of the kind of hospital stuff and then part two is more of a look at um how cancer survivors exist in the world um the difficulties that we have um these uh problems of fear of recurrence and poor body image and how do we practice self-care when we're dealing with all of these things um and it's laid out that way because when you're going through all of this cancer stuff you don't really have that much of an opportunity to process everything and I found especially after my first diagnosis that it wasn't until after I'd had uh, the surgery and everything um, that I really started to process and sort of just go, oh my God, what what mm. the hell just happened? Um, so, so yes, yeah, so that's why it's, it's in two different parts. Um, and then with the first part, because it is so heavy with the, the medical stuff, a lot of it is really quite grim. Yeah, you don't you don't hold back at all in, in describing anything. It's no. At, at the same time, I did I did want to balance it with um, okay. Here's some uh, funny stuff as well. Here's you know some positive things that happened um, along the way. There's kind of a section after my first diagnosis, kind of in the the, the in between time, I guess, where I uh, kind of just list all of the other really cool stuff that I ended up doing like traveling and doing a fire walk and a hot air balloon ride and um you know just trying to make it so it wasn't all you know doom and gloom so I really hope that uh humor and kind of bringing other aspects of my life into it as well so it wasn't all just cancery I hope that worked <laughs> yeah 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 and it, it, it like it's interesting what you say actually like you tried to bring in stuff like you know do the fire walks and the traveling stuff did did you have that drive before like before you were diagnosed with cancer or, or was that like a real kind of point for you where you were like right I'm, I'm in between diagnoses now I'm gonna go and do all these like really exciting things I'm gonna live a bit more like was that a conscious thing did you think or like or did did you want to do that already I feel like I'm quite an impatient person already so I kind of want things to not just be be done immediately but to have been done already you know I'm, I'm just really just want to to, to do things and, and, and get them done I don't really like saying oh yeah maybe one day we'll do this um you know I just like to to plan it in and make things happen but I think that cancer definitely did help to to drive that further and it probably did make me think okay what what do I actually Want, want to do what I want to experience and how can I go about doing that especially 
after my second and third diagnoses. So the end of 2018, where I've, I'd had my hysterectomy. I'd had a really big operation called a uh, Whipple surgery, uh, which was for the duodenal cancer. Just to go down that rabbit hole a bit for a second. So the Whipple surgery, nor- normally for people with pan- pancreatic cancer, and it removes the uh, head of the pancreas, the gallbladder, the bile duct, I can't even remember what else. I live in an actual state of not remembering which organs I have and don't have. I've I have I've got your list here actually. Oh, have you? Oh, great. I have. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So so you you don't have a large intestine, an appendix, a uterus, ovaries, fallopian tubes, duodenum, the head of your pancreas, the gallbladder, and a bile duct, which is about twelve percent of your organs. I missed that cervix as well. Uh, okay, add that in. <laughs> get get that. that in. Um, yeah, so after I'd had the, the hysterectomy and that and that huge sur- surgery, and I was um, off work within a t- total of five months recovering from all of that. Let's see, I bought myself a digital piano. I booked a holiday to Florida, which we didn't end up going on because of COVID. I decided I wanted to do my PhD decided that we really should move house because we've been thinking about it for ages and you know we just need to get on with it and I was just basically filling up my life with uh, all of these really expensive things actually but yeah I, I think that that time of my life just really shows kind of the the wanting to step away from from what had just happened and really just start to to you know get life back into to really do things again and, and, and live more. I don't want to sort of dwell on this too much. It, I can totally relate to, to what you've talked about there. My father-in-law died of cancer seven years ago, and he was in and out of hospital for about two years, and it was a terrible time, really, really dark time in our lives, and can't do anything and all that. And I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about actually how, like, as a supporter, what, what someone like me could do. and mm. That'd be really interesting. But, but in the middle of it all, my wife had started to get upset that he'd never get to walk his daughter down the aisle. And that was, it all of a sudden became this big thing. And we ended up getting married and we were engaged for like three weeks and had this whirlwind from start to end wedding. And it was a lovely story. But the point of it was to sort of inject a bit of chaos and a bit of light into the middle of this really dark period of time. And it, that urgency and it gave people things to talk about. So I, I get that. Like I was a part of that, even though it wasn't me. And I th- yeah, it was it's interesting to hear that you used to talk about firewalls, hot air balloon rides, all these things and how that that urgency comes along. How, yeah. How uh, uh, this is maybe again a bit of a dark, there's gonna be a lot of dark questions, let's be honest. Yeah, I don't know how we can avoid this. How like how sort of forward how far forward do you like plan your life? Are you, are you kind of assuming that everything's gonna be fine? You're just gonna live like everyone else or or the complete opposite are you like shit i might just die like in a year's time oh yeah that's why i mean we were talking before uh, the podcast about my friends worrying about you know turning 30 and oh we're getting old and that kind of of, of narrative and i'm just there and i'm like it's an absolute privilege to turn mm. 30 my brother died of a brain tumor when he was 16 so i've lived twice as long as he did yeah that plus my experience just it gives you a different perspective to you know other people and, and you listen to them complaining about um you know like getting old and that 
I'm starting to find like grey hairs. I'm looking in the mirror. I'm like, oh, maybe getting like little bits of like crow's feet and that. And I'm just like, that's okay. Because I didn't, you know, I, I didn't know if I would get that far. And even if that is coming to me early because of um, menopause or, or whatever, yeah. it, it's, it's fine. I actually saw on a website the other day, you know, sometimes instead of an advert, you might get a, a survey instead of just like a little... Just a yeah. short poll thing. Um, Fucking marketers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there was this one on um, this like a postcode lottery website. So I'm there. I'm just like going in to like check if have I won a tenner. That's my postcode. Won me a tenner, and um, just see this survey pop up, and it says, um, "How long do you expect that you're going to live?" And the the lowest option was <laughs> sixty. Wow. And then it went up in sort of 10 year increments. I'm just like, that is a god awful question to ask yeah. me. Yeah, that's just like, like, you know, Sam, you and I both work in marketing. Like, could you imagine, like, how are you targeting that? Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to assume that everyone who's reading this is definitely going to live to at least 60. Like, that's my audience. Please, no, filter out all cancers. Like, filter out them ones. That's, that's really bad. How do you resist? or overcome or somehow avoid or whatever the word is a sort of resentful attitude creeping in in that situation because i mean how how old were you do you mind me asking how how old were you when this first started happening uh 22 i mean that's like yes how do you how do you avoid that do can you avoid it or do you just sort of allow it to happen and pass or what I don't know. I don't really feel like that's an issue that I've really faced that much, to be honest. I don't really think that I've been particularly resentful. I think there are times when I wonder what it's like for people who are healthy um, and don't have all of these problems because, you know, it doesn't just end after you've had your surgery and you can go away, especially with... Um, Lynch syndrome, which is a genetic condition that makes people more likely to get certain types of cancer, which I think my my brother had as as well. Oh, just a side note: your your description of Lynch syndrome as the worst loyalty scheme in the world. Oh yeah, is uh, is, sure. is fantastic. Just <laughs> more chance of getting cancer. I thought was, that was it was really fun. Made me laugh. Is is there? Because it's how you talked about processing right stuff, and if I'm sort of hearing right that like writing for you is a way of processing things yeah but is there is there ever like an emotional cost in what you're writing about or what you're researching about in your phd as well like because we've talked about that in other areas like with amina and the gendered islamophobia stuff like there's an emotional cost of being involved in that yeah is, is that the same for you or is it all just kind of a positive processing or, or what oh definitely i think even before i started my phd i realized that there was definitely a self-care element not just for writing about cancer but reading about it um just thinking about if you're going online and you're looking at somebody's uh, blog for example because you've found this person they've gone through similar things to you and you've you know found something that you can resonate with and then you keep on reading and reading and going down this rabbit hole um and then you might find somebody saying something um and they're in a much worse situation than you um or they're 
suddenly stage four or, you know, goodness knows what else, or they've had to do this um, treatment that you're afraid of. Um, and then you get to thinking, oh my God, what if that happened to me? And it's actually, I think it's going to be quite an important part of my PhD um, write-up is to be thinking about self-care. And I think the main thing is just being really mindful when you are reading or when you're writing, just to keep checking in, you know, how does this make me feel? You know, maybe you started um, reading or writing because you were exploring something not too too bad I, I guess maybe you just like looking up how does how does this uh treatment work or what's this scan like or something and you started off in you know quite an okay mindset but then by the end of it you're actually really worried or upset because of something else that you've seen somebody else post online and I, th- I think it's just checking in um to to see where you are and hang on do I do I need to to stop can I ask then do you do you ever revisit some of that older stuff from right like right in the middle of it and sort of secondary or, or parallel question as a before you've sort of done your research have would you recommend it as a therapy or a way to sort of help for for other people going through what you've been through um i've actually revisited my writing from my second and third diagnoses um in 2010 for my first one i didn't actually write very much I don't think I wrote much about it at all until a year or two afterwards um but looking back at the writing that I did in 2018 is actually great for me because I wrote some pieces that I'm really proud of and one of one of my first my favorite poems um called post-diagnosis from that time is one of my favorite ones I've ever done and I think that's one of the benefits of writing about cancer or something traumatic um, is that you're creating something that you can be proud of or something positive out of something negative. So obviously it's not, it doesn't make cancer good or, or worth it or, or anything like that, but it, it does mean that you're getting something positive out of it that you might not have done if you hadn't um, pursued that that creative side of things. It's interesting to see that you're like, yeah, my, my cancer maybe like talk about things that maybe I wouldn't have done in different like in different ways actually say i want to just while you're talking through that obviously you said your first diagnosis was 2010 is that right yeah so it's been you know 11 years now and you mentioned about sort of researching online and stuff and obviously the last 10 years like the internet has changed a lot in the last 10 years and you kind of like people's access to it has changed a lot how how has you found like the sort of that kind of online support or online community like is that a lot different to when you first you were first diagnosed or has it not really changed or like what what's happened there i'm not sure how different it is from when i first looked but i definitely find a lot more support online now than i did back then there's so many um really great organizations online um one of my favorite ones is uh, an american organization called stupid cancer And they do a conference every year. It's usually in the States somewhere, but uh, last year and this year it's virtual. Um, And that's like a weekend of um, different talks and webinars and um, workshops and things. And they also do other standalone events. Um, And I'm actually going to be leading one of them in uh in june so i'm going to be doing wow. like a, a writing workshop for an hour um nice 
Yeah, which is really exciting. We'll put all the links for this in the thing. It's so important because you go to these webinars and I always say that it's because you're with the, the people who get it. It's you talk to them about cancer like you talk to other people about the weather. It's just normal and just everybody gets it. And you don't need to worry about um, what you're saying and how people are going to take it. And am I opening up to the right person? You're just among friends. There's somebody doing a webinar about mental health after cancer or something. Um, and you can um, sort of chat with other people in the sidebar as well. And it's just a really great environment. And I think I would have really benefited from that as well in 2010. Yeah, you must get pretty sick of people, I don't know, being awkward around you or worrying about asking a stupid question or whatever. I, I'd imagine that that was quite, I don't know if liberating is the right word, but to talk to people freely, I guess. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of what your book does for a lot of other people, right? I, I'd imagine that reading, for other for people reading your book who might be going through the same kind of thing, that probably, ha the same effect probably happens reading reading gut feelings but is that like so is that the same as your research then is your research on a different sort of line or something well so the book is completely um sort of separate from my phd um what my phd is is it's practice led which means most of the research is me um doing my own creative writing um they call it uh, an autoethnographic study, which basically means that I'm um, doing a documentary on myself. I just like to yeah. think of me being Louis Theroux, asking myself all these questions. Yeah, so 70% of the thesis at the end is going to be creative writing, and then 30% is going to be critical work. Um, because I'm doing it part-time, I'm in year two of six, so I've got quite a long way to go. Um, so I have been having these feelings recently, actually, of being, oh my gosh, I really want to be further along with this than I am. I want to be have things a lot more solidified. I want to know that I'm doing, you know, I'm doing poetry. I don't even know if I'm doing all poetry yet or like a little bit of prose or, or what. And I, I want to know that I'm going to structure it this way and it's going to have these sections or whatever. Um, and it's I'm, I'm just not there yet. And I think I'm, I'm learning uh, that it's, it's it's okay. You're in year two of six. It's okay to uh, not not be full steam ahead at this point. It's I, funny because when you said that, I looked at Ertz's face. <laughs> <laughs> I could see you laughing at that. Don't worry, six is nothing. <laughs> Some of us took a lot longer than that. Don't worry. Um, I actually assumed you were going to go into a much darker place, if I'm honest. When you went, oh, I've got four years left. And I honestly thought you were going to be like, mm, am I going to make it? I thought that was where it was going. That, that's that's a thought as well. We just don't think about that part. <laughs> you know, we kind of mentioned it earlier, though, like, you know, that you're obviously completely planning that, yeah, you're going to, this is going to get, you're going to smash this PhD and get it sorted. But I'm the only one here who's not done a PhD, by the way. I'm the, the idiot of the gang. So, <laughs> so again, like the, like the research stuff, you said you've got like 30% of it is, is critical, yeah? Yeah. And is that... Have you planned it that yet? Like, what's your main kind of focus for that at the moment? Um, so it it really varies, and I do often feel like I'm a little bit all over the place, which again I'm told is apparently fine. It's looking at other people's writing. What are they writing um, about cancer or other illnesses? 
Um, and then I also quite like to look at research about cancer and trauma. I I quite like to find papers that say that cancer isn't a traumatic experience and then get really angry at them. It's like a pastime for me. <laughs> they I, exist. I mean, They're out there. Cancer is well, not traumatic. I'm sure they do. I mean, that that doesn't surprise me. Like, yeah. But, I mean, that's... Actually, that's quite interesting. Like, what's their argument for it not being traumatic? Um, I don't really know. Um, just some I, guy. I think it's just the the amount of people who display PTSD symptoms. I, right, I okay. think is the main part of it. But that's quite interesting. Yeah, that's quite interesting. You know, if you if the only reason something is deemed traumatic is if you display sort of post traumatic symptoms, and that's that's a potent. I mean, I'm not an expert. But that seems like a really potentially problematic way of saying that whether something's traumatic or not because obviously everyone deals with stuff in in different ways yeah i can um, imagine the last thing you want to do as well is engage in more i don't know healthcare facilities so maybe people are having i don't know issues that aren't being recognized and stuff yeah i mean i um i wanted to see a counselor i did end up seeing a counselor in it was 2017 by the time I actually decided, oh, yeah, I'm going to go go see a counsellor about this because, you know, by then it had been seven years and, um, oh, hey, we're still feeling like we need to see a counsellor. Yeah. Um, mm. But I didn't want to go through the NHS. I, I think because there was sort of lingering feelings there of I just don't want to be in the healthcare system. And I think there is such a lack of control for so much of the experience I thought if I'm gonna decide to see somebody about this then I want to do it on my terms I don't want to feel like I'm sucked back into this system that took so much control away from me if that makes sense yeah that makes total sense yeah yeah like so uh, do you write about the same things like because we mentioned before we started right you said a little bit about kind of body image as being a focus on some of the things you write and research about and I think that's that kind of connects to this whole thing I guess about your mental health afterwards and that that kind of is that kind of what you focus the body body image area of your writing on there's a little bit of of body image I haven't done too much of it yet but I I think that when when I think about body image I'm thinking partly about how we feel about our physical bodies and and what that looks like and um scarring and things like that um but i'm also really interested in the psychological relationship that we have with our bodies and the way that the trust can disappear and how for for me at least my body for a lot of the time felt like uh, an external thing you know it it felt like something else because I guess if you talk about your body as a separate entity um then that's that's the the threat um or the thing that that's gone wrong and it's not inherently your um your yourself or or your fault I guess like a disassociation kind of thing yeah 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 Yeah, because that's really interesting right because as soon as they trust then I guess what because as soon as you trust, that brings up images of like I don't know betrayal, like your body's betraying you, or something. Yeah. I don't know if that would make sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, that's a really, really interesting way of thinking about it. It's it's a very weird thing to yeah. not know what's going on inside your body and and think something could be happening in my body again, and I would have no idea. 
it's something I think we'll um we'll touch on in another episode when we talk about the horror as well. You know, that body horror stuff like Alien and The Fly. You know, there's there, that's why those sort of that type of horror is really you know really popular. You know, that's why there's a whole genre of it because it is about your you know you're not really in control of your body at all. You know, we don't consciously think about anything we do with our body, really. You know, you know, them, you know, you don't think about how your heart's beating and stuff like that. So, you know, the fact that that yeah, you know, it's, it's a really interesting study to go over, especially from a cancer point of view. Do you think that the mental health aspect of this, or I don't know if it is or not, is that underemphasized or under-researched? Definitely. Yeah, because as soon as you said about your body, right, I just thought, bloody hell, that sounds like such a horrible state of anxiety, yeah. like. Well, well done, Simon. You've just uh, stated the bloody obvious. I will, uh, Pell, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to change the topic, actually. But I, just on that, you're right. Like, I get, like, a slight cough and I think, shit, you know, you, you look at the NHS website and you assume you're going to die, right? If you've had cancer, like, just the level of betrayal, I, I'm just trying to sort of process how that sort of level yeah. of betrayal. Like, if I, I bite the inside of my cheek and I feel betrayed by my body. <laughs> Like oh no, I'm gonna get a mouse ulcer. Shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I I never think oh I might get sixty percent of my organs left in my body. Like it's just, it's just quite extreme. Yeah, it's just, it's quite quite horrifying. But this is the thing, like, and it's actually saying we you know the reason we kind of want to talk about these things is there's just things you don't think about, right? You know, as as a kind of able-bodied person, you don't think about. And I think you know something we're really trying to do is look at how you know, how you can be like a good ally to, to the to the different topics we're looking at. And like and Simon touched it a little bit earlier when he said about, you know, do you, do you find it people are awkward around you and anything like that? Like without you having to do like all the emotional labour, what's what's a good way to like if you know someone's got cancer or this they have you know that you have a friend or, or whatever it is with cancer, what's a good way to approach that? Like and I'm I know like not everyone's gonna be the same and everyone's gonna have different experiences, but like for you, what was what was a good like what would have helped you out during that time, and, and like, and also, what was difficult? Like, what did people do wrong? Like, you said about the birthdays thing, but like, what other things? What, what was good and bad, basically, in your in your kind of experience? So, people get really hung up, understandably so, on language and what's the right thing to say. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of talk about um, people not liking the battle language that surrounds cancer you know saying he's fighting cancer she lost the battle because it implies that you could have you know fought a bit harder and done a bit better and maybe you know not died and it's your fault that you didn't sort of thing yeah that's really interesting yeah and i know people's um opinions on that differ because some people do like that kind of language because they feel empowered but i would say one of my experiences has told me that saying something is better than saying nothing at all and ghosting a person, speaking from experience. Um, Did you find that happened? Yeah, that, that happened. Um, so I... Maybe not the best way to tell somebody that you're having surgery via WhatsApp, but when you're not not going to see the person there's not really any other way to do it and i, I, I don't know i i message people a lot i feel like especially these days texting and messaging is is quite a big part of communication now i think it's not too bad yeah, yeah. 
but yeah so so i uh texted a friend who knew um kind of the the, the story up till till then any, anyway that um that i'd had this diagnosis and i was going to have um surgery uh, we just weren't weren't sure at the time what kind of surgery that would be and what implications that would have and what what was going to happen, especially because my two my second two diagnoses uh, happened at the sort of the same time. So one was uh, the duodenal cancer was diagnosed, and then the uterine cancer was diagnosed in a different clinic the next day, and then the fun weekend, <laughs> yeah, um, and then the department spent ages trying to talk to each other deciding well what on earth are we you know going to do to tackle both of these things at, at the same time and then it, it turned out it was going to be um hysterectomy and we thought that we would have an option to freeze my eggs so that we could maybe have a surrogate later but that turned out to not be the case because uh if you stimulate the ovaries for fertility you can also be stimulating the lining of the womb which is where the cancer was so you could make the cancer grow faster um so yeah we kind of had an appointment for that told us all all of that and we said well we just don't want to risk anything you know we just want me to be as as safe as possible really me and my partner um so that was where I was when I texted uh, my friend saying okay we've got a date for this hysterectomy um and didn't get a reply for I don't know for weeks and I think I, I, I messaged him again um to say something else some other other update and uh, he texts back and said uh, sorry I didn't reply before I just um didn't know what to say and I felt really awkward and then you know the longer you leave it then the more awkward it yeah. is to to reply which is completely understandable um and I get it but being on the receiving end um wasn't good so sounds yeah. like your friend's a narcissist and <laughs> <laughs> do do you, do you think that's like because there isn't like provision around like how to support people with cancer, like they, like I wouldn't know where to start. I mean, well, this is where I've started in how to like you know how to support people. Can you know what do you say to people? Because it affects everyone, right? Like a- everyone at some point in their life is affected by cancer in some way, but you never know how to talk about. It. Even with like people that are really close to it, it is still a really taboo subject, isn't it? You know, it's still something that people don't want to talk about. And I don't know if that's like a really British thing, because you know we don't like to talk about problems and we just go, yeah, we're fine. Like that's it, isn't it? Or is like like uh, interest? Like is it is it a masculine is a male like a masculine thing? Like we don't like talk about things like that. You said you know you said it was a male friend who who you text. You know, did you get the same sort of response with like your your, your female friends that you spoke to or non male friends even? Um, you know, what what do you think the reason behind people's awkwardness around it is? Uh, and, and you know, is there basically Sam? How do you solve people being awkward about cancer? You've got two <laughs> minutes. How do this go? <laughs> Um, I think I think people want to fix things, and yeah. you you can't. And they want to search for the the right words to say that's going to make everything better, and you just can't do that because there aren't any words. The only the best thing that you can say is "I'm sorry." That's really shit. Just to add to that, something something else that people sometimes say is "I'm here if you need anything," which is um, well intentioned, but a lot of people kind of think well that puts quite a bit of pressure on the person that you're saying it to because it's like oh now I have to find a job for this person um you know I need to to find something for for them to do or or I I need to reach out um some some of the good things that that happened um, a lot of them came from my girlfriends actually um who 
um, I think we're, we're in a, a group chat, which maybe makes it easier to respond. I, I, I don't know. Um, but I guess you can just feed off, off each other's uh, re- replies, which were all very, um, you know, sympathetic. And some of the nicest things that my friends did was send me stuff. Um, mm. One of the most thought- thoughtful things, I, I think, and I, I don't know... Um, if it was just a bit of a, a fluke or how much thought she put into it. Um, but my go-to drink is JD and Coke. And after I'd had my Whipple, you're quite restricted on um, what you can eat because you have a lot of like um, gas problems and, you know, sickness and, and that kind of thing. Um, so obviously alcohol is off the table for quite a while but one of my friends sent me these Jack Daniels and Coke flavoured sweets <laughs> I was just like that's just brilliant I don't know if she knew that I wouldn't be able to have alcohol for ages and I'd like you know just want to have something to to get back to normal um, because that's one that's one of the hardest things as, as well like I'd be sat there every day and just like I just want a Coke I just I, I live off coke and I, I just really want one and I can't have one. All I can have is water and I don't like it. I think like that's actually interesting. I think you've touched on something really interesting there. Like people want, you know, cancer such a big thing, right? It's such a big thing, and people think I've got to do really big things to fix this. Like I've got to go and drive my friend around and be, you know, this thing. But actually, it sounds like like little little things, like normal things, sort of like of. of it's still really thoughtful, but it's it's a small thing, you know. Buying someone some sweets is is not a huge act. It's not a huge act, is it? You know, they're not they're not donating their do addendum to you. You know, <laughs> they're, they're doing a small bit. But you know, you can see by you know how how that affects you. It's really nice. Um, so yeah, perhaps sort of continuing little things rather than assuming that you can do big things because you know you can't. Can you? you know? That piece on um, like oh anything you need, I completely get that. So back when we were going through this as a family, one of my mother-in-law's close friends, a wonderful woman, just started cooking dinner every night. Just every night she would come around a meal for four, never asked, and she did it for months. And it was one of those things that no one told her to. She's a busy person. It was a big gesture, obviously, but yeah. it just that's the kind of thing that just. No, there was no actual ask on our part to say, oh, could you do this? Could you do that? And she wouldn't take no for an answer. Just come around, stop the freezer up and stuff like that. And it was um, it was like just a brilliant gesture and thing to do. So I can I completely get that. And it's one of those things that I've carried on since when I've seen other people go through it because you just think, right, just take on a job and just, just mm. do something, like, if you can. Yeah, and I guess it has that kind of dual effect, doesn't it? Like, not only are you kind of helping your friend or you're helping that person out, but, you know, on a kind of, a less selfless level it, it sort of helps alleviate your own sense of powerlessness doesn't it you know you always feel really powerless when 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 someone's struggling and you can't help them regardless of what it is um you are aren't you yeah yeah well yeah i mean yeah you are that's the you know, that's the bottom line is you know there is no way that well a very few ways i can imagine you can actually help someone get over cancer you know it's not a thing so it's the, the sort of psychology behind that powerlessness i think that's actually quite interesting you mentioned the vocabulary thing, and this is kind of a side point, really, but it's it's. I think that's a really important point because, like, the whole militaristic language of it, right? We seem to do that because we lack 
vocabulary for stuff. We've seen it with COVID. We see it with mental health. We I was going to bring up the Healthcare for Heroes yeah. episode where we talked about the similar, very similar theme. Yeah. I mean, is it because we're not... Is that because we're still so, I don't know, like restricted in... Because we're not developing the vocabulary, the correct vocabulary. I mean, like you said, some people, yeah, find it helpful, right, I guess, because it helps, I don't know, give an image or whatever. But is it... Like, is this because we're not talking about it in the right way? Is that part of the problem? And does that relate to the whole kind of mental health kind of fat thing not being focused on? We're not, we might have started talking about cancer, right, as a society, but are we talking about it in, in the right way, it's developing the right language and, and stuff? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think that maybe people sometimes use this kind of metaphorical language um, because if they're not a cancer survivor themselves, then it may be something that's quite intangible and maybe foreign to them. And to talk about it in these more visual ways um, can can help them to, to understand it maybe and to, to express it better. Whereas for me, I find it annoying using sort of war language or whatever because... I don't I don't need a metaphor or a, a visual representation because I am the visual representation and I've experienced all of these things. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't need to be a, a, a soldier or whatever. I don't need all of this hyped up language uh, because, you know, here I am having gone through it already and it's it's very real to me. Yeah, it don't. It evokes emotion, doesn't it? You know, we see, you know, we see politicians doing it all the time, right? You know, we're 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 fighting, we're fighting the war on terror. You know, we're 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 fighting, you know, homelessness. We're being invaded by immigrants. You know, the, this kind of you get it's this easy, kind of it's it? all it's exactly it's, it's easy. It, it obviously speaks to people on some level, and you know, I think some of that obviously comes from, you know, a generation of, of people from where war was like something you learn about in books but it was still really sort of fairly close to us really um you know we're still sort of traumatized aren't we as as, as a nation we're still really traumatized by world war Two. you know we can't you know people still talk about it all the time it's, it's something that's really embedded in in sort of culture and you know american culture as well you know are, are they the only two references i've got i wonder if other cultures use different kind of language to talk around it you know i'm only sort of talking about western culture it'd be interesting to sort of That'd be sad. It'd be interesting to find out. Why don't you know that, Sam? <laughs> I, I actually read a really interesting book about metaphor yeah. recently uh, called Metaphors We Live By. And um, it was really amazing to me how much we use metaphors um, with, without noticing at all. Just um, as an example, up is a metaphor for positivity you know you tell somebody to to cheer up that's a metaphor and up is you know up is good up is is positive um and I was thinking to myself could I use this in my writing you know if instead of saying I went down to surgery could I say I went up to surgery and does that somehow give it a a different spin does that make yeah, it yeah. feel better yeah that's, that's really interesting good. yeah that is, and I think you could you could even sort of write a kind of satirical piece, couldn't you, where you change all those prepositions or whatever 
and you'd read it and it would read weird like it would read weird but that's kind of the point right yeah. i think that's really fascinating well i think that's that's been what a good 45 minutes of in depressing answer chat <laughs> yeah. but it's not it's not been depressing it's not been at all there's always a couple of points Do you, is there anything we've not talked about that you think is really important that we've missed and that's a hard question sometimes, but just so, sometimes there's a burning thing that we kind of we meander a little bit. I have one or one or two more um, positive things that people can do. Great, yeah, definitely. Um, so something that my partner and my best friend did for me while I was going through cancer and wait, waiting for surgery is that they would Google things for me, which probably may, mainly applies to the the people that you're closest to or you talk to um, the the most. But it's going going back to that thing of going down the, the rabbit hole and kind of practicing self-care um, and also um, avoiding Googling anything because it's it will say that you're, you're going to die, basically. Yeah, it's really not, not good to be to be Googling a, a, a lot of stuff, as Perry touched on. So, yeah, so if, if there was something new that would come up, um, like a new scan or like a new word that would come across um peter would, would google it for me or or my friend chris would go- would google it and, and they would just come back to me uh with the information that's been kind of uh stripped of its um filtered yeah stripped of its emotion and and, and risk and and just bring me the the bare bones information of, of of this is this is what it is this is this is what i think um and Peter's been absolutely wonderful as well because he's just so logical and practical and he just says all the right things, which I know is a really intangible thing. Mm. And he has a way of, of making me, me feel better um, just just by being positive, I think, and just being being positive without being positive in an empty way you know not just being like oh it'll all be fine or whatever but no you know i think it's going to be fine and these are the reasons why i mean, I mean fact-based evidence fact-based opinions is is I, i'm here for that <laughs> in the current climate i'm here for fact-based opinions yeah that's, i mean that's so I, I guess one of the things that uh, what i'm hearing is the takeaway point maybe is that actually it's far better to just, I don't know, put your foot in it and say, I don't know, the wrong thing than just say nothing, right? Yeah, even just say, I don't know what to say. Yeah, right. That's, yeah. that's all right. Get... Yeah. All right, final bit then. I guess we always ask, is there anything you want to plug? Do you want to talk a brief whirlwind of the book or anything else you want to promote? Just have our millions of fans listen to and go and buy <laughs> Yes, so uh, my book, Gut Feelings, Coping with Cancer and Living with Lynch Syndrome is on Amazon, in paperback and on Kindle. And if you want to read more about me, I'm writersam.co.uk and writersamr on Twitter. Excellent. And we'll we'll grab all the links to that and get them in the description so it goes on Spotify and the likes as well. Yeah. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Thanks a lot, Sam. Surprisingly cheery conversation about one of the darkest topics we've touched on so it's kind of yeah fits the bill for the rest of the show the only way is up <laughs> <laughs> that's the perfect place to end it mate all right that was really good thanks for it oh thank you yeah see you on the boards.
Sehen wir uns. Thank <laughs> you.